I'm glad that you guys are here this morning. Um, let me ask this question. Has anybody ever gotten the silent treatment? Okay. I thought that you would raise your hands for some reason, not just chuckle. Um, maybe, maybe that's because, are you getting the silent treatment right now? <laughs> Don't answer that one, though. Don't answer that one. Um, yeah, so the silent treatment's always an awkward deal. Like, um, it's not really a whole lot of fun, but then seemingly, as you just showed there, once it's over with, a lot of times it can be uh, kind of a funny thing to reflect on. Um, I'm going to ask you to turn your attention to the screen here, and I'm going to show you a classic example of the silent treatment in our world today. It's a high fly ball. That's deep to right. Garcia goes back and leaps. That one is gone. Home run for Richie Schaefer. His first major league hit. A home run into the bullpen. He goes back to back with Cabrera. And the Schaefer family celebrates tonight. They huddle up. This is even worse. <laughs> this is classic right here. Richie Schaefer's first big league hit a home run, and the Rays lead 10 to 1. All right, so he was getting booed because the Rays, the Rays lead 10 to 1, so that's never fun for the home crowd. How many of you guys have seen that before, the silent treatment in baseball? Yeah, Sam, thank you for participating, sir. So, <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of a classic thing in the bigs. Like, if you're a rookie, you hit your first big league home run for everybody in the dugout to act like it's no big deal and kind of even assume that they didn't even see it. So... If that was an example you did not get, you are now enlightened. Sometimes the silent treatment can be funny. Um, other times, not so funny. So one time I got the silent treatment from this guy. I was, uh, I loved to bow hunt, and so this was, I don't know, a couple, three years ago. Uh, I wasn't having any luck, so I decided to go out in the middle of the afternoon, uh, grab my stand off a tree, put it on my back, bow in hand, geared up because it was going to be cold that evening, and I don't like getting cold. Um, and so I'm all suited up, got my stand, and I take out with my GPS on my phone, and I've got a spot in mind picked out in this hardwood grove that I want to get to, but the straight line there is just not going to happen. It's too thick, too many briars, too many pine thickets in between, and so I think, well, I'll just kind of make my way through here. I've got this little dot on my phone i got to get to. So I'll get there. Um, I find some sign. I'm thinking this is going to be a good deal. Climb the tree. What happens? Phone dies. Don't see a deer. It gets dark, and I climb down, and now I'm like, I know there's a road that way, but there's a lot of stuff right here I don't want to go through. Well, I'm stuck. I can't go back the way I came because I'm getting the silent treatment from the GPS on my phone. That is an example of when the silent treatment is not fun at all. <clears throat> Another example I would say, if you can answer yes to this, is no fun. Have you ever felt like on your road trip of faith that there have been seasons when God has been silent? 
seemingly you're getting the silent treatment from God. And that's what we're going to talk about today, when God is silent. I've had these times uh, from here, to, from time to time in my life, and uh, they're never fun. They're never fun. Um, sometimes they come during like a catastrophe, but the ones, at least for me, that bother me the most, um, they happen when everything's going great. For me, though, in those seasons, it wasn't that something terrible was happening. It was just that there was this emotional dryness. I felt like God was silent. I was missing an aspect of connection or intimacy with the Lord. Now, I could still see from reading his word things that I needed to work on in my life, ways that I needed to improve. And so it wasn't that I couldn't get something from his word. It was just that he seemed silent. That emotional connection was missing. His word was still valuable. It was still relevant to me. In fact, God was still blessing my life, and I could see that and know that, but there was an emotional distance. And I begged God to allow me to have that connection back, to afford my crying out to him to be not just a figure of speech, but something literal and something raw and not manufactured, but he was silent. John Bloom describes it like this. We have these encounters with him, God, where he breaks into our lives with power and he answers our prayers and he wins our trust and waters the garden of our faith, making it lush and green. And then there are these seasons when chaos greens. With apparent carelessness through our lives and the world, and it leaves us shattered. Or an unrelenting darkness descends. Or an arid wind we don't even understand blows across our spiritual landscape, leaving the crust of our soul cracked and parched. And we cry to God in our confused anguish, and He just seems silent. And that was the feeling that I had in that season of silence. A couple years ago, Megan and I, we had opened our home to foster care, and we decided we're not doing, like, terrible, I guess, with these kids. Um, Why don't we try to have one of our own? For whatever reason, the Lord was silent to that request. We struggled with infertility, which was a horrible thing to go through. Meanwhile, our friends, they were having kids all around us, and we wanted to celebrate that with them. We wanted to congratulate them. They were our, some of our dearest friends, and we wanted to be happy for them, but it was a struggle. God blessed us eventually with the opportunity to have our babyest girl, Charlie Kate, biologically, and we are so grateful for that. But I have to say, we have continued to pray for friends of ours that through Megan being bold enough to share this story with, have told us, hey, we are in the same boat. We've been trying for years and years and years, and the Lord is seemingly 
silent. And I have to tell you, we have prayed for them. It seems more than we even prayed for ourselves. But right now, as I speak, God is silent to their prayers. And we cry in desperation on their behalf. I'm going to put a few questions up on the screen behind me. Uh, The first one is this. Has God ever seemed silent to you? What about this? Has it ever seemed like God took a really long time to answer your prayers? Or how about this one? Have you ever felt like God was answering other people's prayers but not yours? Every house in the neighborhood is sold, and yet, why? We, God, we can't sell our home. Maybe that example like I shared earlier, it seems like everybody is, is getting what they're asking for in their life, maybe whether it be a kid or whatever, and you're still struggling. Your, your sister's on her third child, and you're still struggling to get your first, or you have friends whose children have gone through a life completely healthy or even sick, but God has healed them of whatever their ailment is, and yet you're still praying for your child to be healed, and God seems silent. Maybe for you guys that are younger, you, it seems like all of your friends know exactly where they're going to school in the fall. And their life is all planned out, and you're begging God to give you some direction, and he just seems to be silent. The last question, has God's silence ever caused you to wonder if there even is a God? I'm going to be very honest with you. It has in my life thought, why, if you want intimacy and relationship from me, why would you be quiet? But I have been there. I have felt that. And maybe you have too. Maybe you felt a lot like David. In the 22nd Psalm, he says this. It's going to be on the screen behind me. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. David was one of the heroes of our faith, and yet he had some issues, so maybe it just has to do with that. But I would say this, even our Savior, Jesus Christ, God's Son, God himself in the flesh, quoted David while hanging on the cross. He said in Matthew 27, the gospel writer says this, at about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice and he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Even our sinless Savior felt as if the Lord was silent. And maybe that's where you are right now. I would say to you, if it is, it's okay to be honest with God. He knows what you're thinking. He knows how you feel. He knows your heart. You're not going to surprise him or take him off guard if you say, God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you silent? I do think there are a few reasons maybe why God is silent. And so if you will Uh, Allow me to share some of them. One of them, I think, is that we have unconfessed sin. 
And I really do think this can be one, and I don't mean to be hateful. I don't mean to, um, to discourage you if, if this isn't a thing for you in your life right now, but I, can't, I would be remiss not to mention it because I do believe that sometimes it's because of unconfessed sin. Back to the Psalms in the 66th division, starting with verse 16, the psalmist says, Come and listen, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he did for me. For I cried out to him for help, praising him as I spoke. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God did listen. He paid attention to my prayer. Praise God who did not ignore my prayer or withdraw his unfailing love from me. Or how about in the New Testament? James says in chapter 4 beginning with verse 7, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honor. And again, I don't mean to say this in a way to discourage you if this is not an issue for you, but the Bible is pretty plain and clear about sin, amen? And sometimes in our lives, our unconfessed sin can put a block between us and the Lord, and the Lord is, is so anxious for us to remove that sin from out of the way of our relationship to hear and answer our prayer. And I know this because it's in God's word, but I know it from experience as well. Holding on to something, not forgiving someone, whatever it is, if you have sin in your life and you want to hear from the Lord, you need his forgiveness, you need confession. But another reason I think that we feel as if God is silent is because we have an urgent need so sometimes I don't think necessarily that God is silent, but we have something that we need so soon, we need it right now, that it seems like God is because he's just slower than we want him to be. It reminds me of, of the story when Jesus' uh, his friend Lazarus died. So... In the town of Bethany, Jesus had these very close friends. They were siblings, and, and one of them was very ill. His name was Lazarus. <clears throat> and somebody sent word to Jesus and said, hey, your friend Lazarus is sick. And basically, the gist of it is, we know how powerful you are. We know that you can heal him. We need you right away. We need you to come and heal your friend, our brother, Lazarus. So what did Jesus do? Obviously, he sat on his hands for two days. He just stayed still. He weeped, and he stayed where he was. Eventually, Jesus did end up going to Bethany, and he was met there by his friends who said, what, what are you doing? Jesus, Lazarus has been dead for four days because you didn't come when we told you. Now he's gone. Jesus said this, Lazarus' sickness 
will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. And so Jesus went on to explain that that this was for his glory's sake. He did this on purpose, and he told um, the sisters that, that he was the resurrection and the life. And they said, no, 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 we get it. We get it. One day, you are the Messiah. You will come to reign. All of your children will be raised to life in the resurrection, which is true, by the way. But Jesus wasn't talking about that. But they had an urgent need that Jesus had not met. If you know the rest of the story, Jesus said, "That's I'm paraphrasing, that's not what I'm talking about. He said, take me to the tomb. And so they took him to the tomb, and he said, all right, now open it up. And they said, no, he stinks. He's been dead for four days. We're not going to do that. Not only is that foul, but he's our brother. That would be pretty dishonorable. We don't want to do all that. And Jesus said, pray to the Father. And he said, I'm doing all this saying all this stuff out loud for their benefit, I know that you're all ready to take care of this, so let's do this. Open the tomb, Lazarus, get up and walk out. And if you know the story, Lazarus did raise back to life. But Jesus didn't do it on their timeline. They had an urgent need, but Jesus saw how he would receive glory if he waited for his timeline, and so that's what he did. Another reason I think that we perceive God to be silent is because he wants to point us to Scripture. God wants us to value his written word, the word that he preserved through history, the word that is living and powerful, the word that is God-breathed as much as we value any other way that he communicates with us. Amen? This is as plain as it can be for me in, um, in 2 Peter chapter 1. And I'd love for you to turn there to see this with your own eyes. And that's pretty punny. You'll find out after we read the scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 18. Peter speaking here, he says, We ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. So Peter and a couple other guys were with Jesus on the top top of Mount Sinai when Jesus was, we call it, transfigured. Basically, he showed all of his glory he could show on top of this mountain. And Peter and his friends were there to see it. Peter goes on in verse 19 to say, Because of that experience, we have even greater confidence in the message proclaimed by the prophets. What? Peter was on the top of the mountain. There was a crazy storm happening. He was with there with Je- up there with Jesus. Jesus was transfigured, shows his glory. A voice that you hear with your ears loudly proclaims from heaven. And it's the Father, God the Father. And Peter says, because of that experience, we have a greater confidence in your word. He goes on to say, you must pay close attention to what they wrote. For their words, the prophets, are like a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and Christ, the morning star, shines in your hearts. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or 
from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Peter was up there on the mountain with Jesus. He heard the Father speak and he said, I have an even greater confidence in this because of what I've seen. I don't value hearing even an audible voice from the heavens more than I treasure and value this word of God. And he only had the Old Testament. The first time I ever experienced the silence of God, this is what he wanted to teach me. I longed for that intimate, emotional response and connection to him, and I'm confident he was saying, but does this mean anything to you? When you can't hear me, when you can't connect with me, I'm talking to you. This is what God wanted me to experience from his seemingly being silent. The last reason I'll offer, and I'm not saying this is an exhaustive list by any means, but the last reason I'd like to offer for why God seems to be silent is that he wants to grow our faith. And all of these other reasons, I think, culminate in this whether it's for us to confess our sin or to wait on the Lord or to have a new sense of esteem and value for his word, God wants to grow our faith. And that may be because the next part of our road trip, the next part of our journey, if you will, will require us to have a deeper trust in him. I'm going to ask you, if you will, uh, there are Bibles all through the building in the little rack underneath your your like neighbor in front of you's chair, if you will grab that Bible, I would love for you to turn to page number 796. If you're on the front row, I apologize. I should have laid them out for you. <clears throat> Not like I didn't know this was coming. <clears throat> page 796 in, in that copy of God's Word. If you find it, anybody want to read? Page 796. It's not actually marked. You have to do a little bit of arithmetic in your head. Turn to like page 800 and then flip back to 796. Anybody want to read for us? Anybody found it? What's on the page? Nothing. Nothing. Page 796 and that book is blank. Let me tell you what that represents. God spoke through his prophet Malachi in the Old Testament. The next recording of scripture we have is in Matthew, a baby named Jesus Christ is born. Do you know how much time passes between there? 400 years. That page represents God being silent for 400 years. There was not a letter of Scripture spoken to be recorded. There was not a single prophet sent by the Lord God. But let me tell you what did transpire in those 400 years. There was an empire called Greece, a very, very popular ruler of that empire. You may have heard of him. His name's Alexander the Great. 
conqueror of nations. In fact, he enjoyed conquering people so much, once he had conquered all the known world he knew to, he said, I'm so depressed, there's nobody else to conquer. He was one of those kind of guys, okay? So he runs the gamut of the world, conquering all these places. Greece rises to an unprecedented amount of power in the world as it was known at that time. And one of the odd things that Alexander the Great says is he wants to decree that the whole world learn a single language, Koine Greek. So he does all this magnificent stuff, and this one weird thing he asks is that the whole world learn Koine Greek. And so he demand, the whole world does it. He demands that they all learn this single language. Alexander the Great would eventually fall. We assume that he drank himself to death. Very tragic thing. Um, but then another world power would rise up. It's called Rome. Okay? And so Rome um, kind of has like a bad mark in our world because we associate all the horrible things they did to the early believers. Um, but the fact is they were an incredible world superpower. Um, one of the things that Rome did was they totally uh, overhauled the infrastructure of society at the time. Basically, they made the road system ridiculously better. You've heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome or the Roman roads. That's why. They made the roads so much nicer, so much easier to travel um, while they were in power. So we have this silence from the Lord for 400 years. But then in the book of Galatians, chapter 4 and verse 4, Paul says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son. I would say this to you, 400 years of silence, but when God is silent, he is never still. For 400 years, we don't have anything from the Lord. He doesn't speak audibly, no prophet, no scripture to be recorded. But he uses these pagan rulers who think that they are accomplishing their own agenda. So we have a man who creates a language, doesn't create the language, but um, but dictates that everybody learn this single language. And then we have the next empire that transforms the way that people transport themselves, goods, messages across the world. So while God was completely silent and these men were performing things to benefit themselves, it seems, once the time came and God sent his son, Jesus, who lived a sinless life, who died a horrific death, who resurrected in triumph, this story could be told in a language everybody understood. The message as it was recorded on paper could be transported through the known world faster than any message ever has before. So the story of Jesus, how he lived, how he died, how he raised to life, the knowledge that he did all of this to invite us to believe in him, to receive him, to take up our cross and follow him was written in a language that most all the known world could read and was transported faster than any message ever had been before. Because when God is silent, he is never still. So 
don't give up. If you're in a season of silence, it seems from the Lord, don't stop praying. Because when God seems to be silent, he is never still. I'd like to offer some next steps for us today. If you're in a season of silence, maybe it's because you never have had a connection with the Lord. Maybe, maybe you don't know what it means to follow this Savior, to take up your cross to do so. I would say a next step for you is to take off on a road trip with God. We're talking about this journey of faith, this road trip, if you will, it's not going to be easy. I've just told you you're going to experience seasons of silence and, and like Kyle said last week, seasons of doubt. But don't forget that your feelings are not equivalent to your faith. I will say, though, take off on this road trip with the Lord. It will be totally worth it. Allow God to begin to speak to you by receiving the message of the gospel that we stated earlier, that Jesus came to die for my sin, and for yours. He qualified because he lived perfectly. He submitted himself to die on a cross for us. And God raised him through the power of the Holy Spirit on the third day. It's because of that good news of the gospel that we can trust Jesus as our Savior, take up our cross, and follow him. Maybe you're in a season of silence and, and it's one of those deals like you remember when the Lord saved your soul and you remember the intimacy you had with him and, and maybe you have never experienced anything like this. Maybe you've been following the Lord for a long time and you've never felt like he's silent, but right now, right now you're struggling because you can't hear him. I would encourage you to share with others that God is silent in your life. I think there's something to this idea of being transparent, of being vulnerable with the church and sharing with them, hey, guys, look, I, I'm, I'm, I need your encouragement because I'm ready to give up. I don't want to listen to what God has to say in his word. I don't want to keep praying for the same people day in and day out because God is silent. Share that with others. Allow them to pray for you. If there's some sin in your life, confess that sin with them. I would say use your small groups to do this. If you've been in a small group now for a while, it's time to get real with some people, guys. Be vulnerable. Be transparent. It's not really a whole lot of fun at first, but I promise you, you will benefit from it. We are not made to be isolated. We are made for community, and part of that community's job is to encourage us, to speak into us, and to listen to our struggle. Maybe, like me, your next step needs to be to listen for God in his word. Yes, I beg the Lord to give me that emotional connection, that response, that almost audible speaking back to me in prayer, but for for this reason, I'm convinced he didn't. He wanted me to know that I can always hear him. He is never really silent because he has given us his living, inspired word.
maybe a next step for you is this. You simply need to remember that when God is silent, he is never still. Peter said himself, I've experienced God first person just as plainly as I can physically observe and experience him. But man, this I treasure. And I can be convinced that although what I'm going through, I know because of the promises of God's word that he's not still. He is continually moving. I'd encourage you, the psalm that we read earlier today, Psalm 22, read that psalm. David goes back and forth talking about how he struggled and felt like God was absent, but then he knows that he's faithful. He has shown himself faithful in his life, in the life of Israel, and we have all those stories now for us today to encourage us to know that God keeps his promises. He will not leave us or forsake us. He is not still. When he is silent, he is never still. I'd like to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. So if you would, please bow your heads and pray along with me.